Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at why fewer women than men choose to invest, explore what's putting them off, and explain why investing could be worth considering. With Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, Sarah Kingston, Wealth and Investments graduate, and Claire Francis, Savings and Investments Director. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello, thank you for joining us on Word on the Street. The topic for today, we're going to talk about female investors. And, you know, one of the things that, that I think is very striking is that we know that there are significantly fewer women that invest than men. So, In today's episode, we're going to explore why that might be the case, what we might do about that. And I'm joined by uh, two of my female colleagues. So Claire Francis, who's a director of savings and investments, and Sarah Kingston, who's a graduate in our wealth management and investments business. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Claire. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Hi, Nikki. We're going to start just thinking a bit about the landscape and the fact that it's changing. So we know that during the course of this pandemic, we've seen a significant increase in the number of people that have started investing for the first time. So that's not just uh, something we've observed within our Barclays customer base, but but across the industry. And we're also seeing more younger people get involved and also some more women entering the market. Last year, we saw in our own execution-only platform, Smart Investor, we saw the number of account openings. They were up about 88% compared to the previous year. And of these new customers, around 64% were under the age of 45. And in my book, under 45 is extremely young. (laughs) And one in three of those were women. That was significantly up on the previous year. So while that's an increase, it's still a very low figure. And we've seen figures from HM Revenue and Customs that highlights the investment gap between men and women. For example, if you take the ISA, statistics. So the latest HMRC data shows us even though women hold more than half of all the ISAs that are in existence, it's more likely to be a cash ISA. And what we saw is some 4.4 million women took out a cash ISA in 2018-2019 compared with 3.5 million men. So more women took out cash ISAs than men took out cash ISAs. While over 1 million men took out a stocks and shares ISA, so an investment ISA, whereas only 785,000 women did. Claire, this is an area you look at a lot, and it's obviously really promising to see that more people are starting to invest to take that step. Why do you think the pandemic has been such a catalyst for this? Well, Nikki, I think if you think back to the start of the first lockdown in March last year, stock markets around the world fell sharply because there was just so much uncertainty and fear around. And we saw a lot of people invest then, including first time investors, because they thought it was a good buying opportunity um, because shares in so many companies looked undervalued because they'd fallen so sharply. Um, But since then, even though markets have recovered, as you've mentioned, we've continued to see an increase in the number of first time investors. And I think one of the influencing factors here is the amount of money sitting in cash savings at the moment. 
Last week, we saw new data out from the Office of National Statistics, which confirmed that savings levels rose again during the most recent lockdown. So the savings ratio, which is the average percentage of disposable income that's saved, rose to 19.9% in the first three months of this year, which was up from 16.1% in the final quarter of last year. And the highest it's ever been um, since it started being recorded back in the 60s was 25.9%. And that was in the second quarter of last year when we were obviously in the midst of lockdown. And other than essentials, we didn't really have much to spend our money on because we couldn't do anything. Um, Now, I think it's important, you know, we mustn't overlook how hard it's been for a lot of people um, during the pandemic and how hard it continues to be um, for many. But If, like us, you know, you've been fortunate enough to still be working throughout, you may actually be feeling better off because you've been spending less. Obviously, due to lockdown um, restrictions, we've not been able to go on holiday. We're not paying commuting costs. We're spending less on socialising because we've not been able to. Um, So it's actually unsurprising that there's more money left in people's banks at the end of the month. um, And therefore, why perhaps some of them, some people are then looking to invest some of that money. And, and of course, you know, with savings rates so low, with the interest rate so low and, you know, the, the start of rising inflation, cash just doesn't look so attractive at the moment. Exactly. And, and so more people are investing as they seek to get their money working harder for them. And as long as they're investing for the right reasons, i.e. For, for long-term growth and not trying to make a quick buck, this is a really good thing. Um, I think, you know, you, re- you referenced the ISA statistics, Nikki, and the fact that about half of all ISA accounts are held by women, but most of those are cash ISAs. And that's reflective of our savings habits generally as a nation. Um, so the majority of people, with the exception of their pension, I think keep most of their money, you know, keep all of their money basically in cash, cash savings. And around 22 million adults have an ISA here in the UK, but more than 15 million of those accounts are cash ISAs. But as you cover pretty much every week on Word on the Street, you know, when it comes to long term growth prospects, people really should at least be considering investing. It's important to have some money in cash savings for short term needs and unexpected expenditure. But once you've built that up, that's the point to think about investing. So it's it's really encouraging to see more people doing this, particularly women who, as you've pointed out, are less likely than men to invest. OK, that, that's that's really clear. And I think it would be brilliant just to explore that a bit more. So, Sarah, when Claire and I were speaking to you um, a few days ago, you were saying, yeah, you know, you started to invest for the first time during the pandemic. So I think it would just be really interesting for our listeners just to hear a bit about what motivated you to get started. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly right, Nikki. And last year I opened a stocks and shares ISA, which was really my first experience ever of investing. And I think that's probably down to a lot of the reasons that Claire's just been talking about just then. So I'm 23. I've been working in a full time job now for nearly two years. And for the first time in the middle of last year, I found myself to have saved up what I consider to be a reasonable amount of money. And I was quite proud of it. So, you know, being a student, saving wasn't necessarily my priority, be that right or wrong. But this began to change when I started to earn a bit of money and get my job. So I suppose also coupled up with a few situational factors such as lockdown happening, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to move back home to my parents' house during peak lockdown um, and I wasn't paying rent for a short amount of time, as well as not spending as much money on socialising or travel. 
This meant I was able to save and therefore invest. So I think this links back to what you mentioned earlier, Claire, about the savings ratio in the UK increasing to the highest it's ever been. And it definitely rang true for me a little bit. And given also that I work in financial services, I think I'm probably very lucky to have a decent understanding of the importance of saving and the benefits of investing. So I probably felt a bit more comfortable than most people my age, especially women, to get started on that investing ladder. And to be honest, all these factors were probably coincidentally timed quite well in that we were seeing market lows around the start of the pandemic. And I considered it to be a bit of a buying opportunity. And we know it's really important to start investing young and for the long term. It's a message we try to convey. So I just thought, if not now, then I guess when? That's a great mantra, Sarah. (laughs) Claire, just um, not for a minute suggesting that you're further along the age spectrum uh, than Sarah. But but I know obviously your career has, uh, you know, has, has been a bit longer so far. So can you share with us, the listeners, you know, what got you started on, on investing? Yeah, I'm a lot, a lot further along the age <laughs> spectrum than, uh, than Sarah. Well, I've been investing for about 15, 16 years um, now. And like Sarah, I think it was my job that prompted me to get started. Um, I wasn't working in the financial services industry at the time, but my background is financial journalism. So I was writing a lot about investing, the importance of financial planning and managing your finances. So I sort of felt relatively well-equipped and I guess knew and understood the the benefits and felt, you know, this was something I should do and sort sort my life out really. And initially, I actually went to see an independent financial advisor when I got started. The reason for that was my late husband was self-employed and we actually went to see an IFA around the time we got married um, to get him a pension and sort of to get our finances sorted really and and find out a bit more about how how to go about planning our investment portfolios. But since then, I've done it myself and tried to use as much of my annual ISA allowance as possible. Although, you know, over the years, the amount I've been able to invest has ebbed and flowed. And there was a period before my son started school and actually I had to dip into my investments and take money out rather than pay more in because I'm a single mum working full time and and I had a full time nanny so my my childcare costs were scarily high but now he's at school I've been able to sort of replenish my ISA and and you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm also one of the lucky ones who's who's benefited from lockdown in terms of having spent less. So that's also helped give my investment portfolio a, an extra boost over the last sort of 12 months or so. I think, you know, many people, I'm sure, will take some comfort from what you described there, Claire, which is that that you do what you can when you can and your circumstances will change different times of your life. But going back to what Sarah said, starting as young as possible, time is your friend, but then recognising that you won't always be in the same position. So it's a case of doing what you can when you can. But but just thinking about the barriers to investing. So, you know, hopefully you guys listening along to this might follow the logic and think, yup, I can see that, that this makes some sense. But there's many people that will follow the logic, but perhaps might not feel that it's for them. So any thoughts here, Sarah, just around what what might be putting people off? And I suppose most specifically, given the stats that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, why particularly women? Yeah, so I think it's firstly a really interesting debate, I suppose. And there's definitely a few factors at play. So 
For me, I think probably the most prevalent amongst my generation, but also women in general, is that lack of knowledge. And as I mentioned before, I'm from a sort of finance background. I studied a similar subject at uni and now working in the industry. I've got a decent level of financial literacy. But a lot of my friends that don't work in the industry have never even considered investing or even saving. And the CFA Institute conducted some really interesting research around this, which found that four in 10 non-investing millennials cite lack of knowledge as a major hurdle to investing. And around half said either not enough savings or not enough income. Now, of course, that is just millennials, so the younger generation. So they might be just thinking about starting to save or invest or just starting to get full-time jobs like myself. So I guess that makes a lot of sense. But then looking within my group of friends, I do actually see a difference between my male and female counterparts. So not only have a lot more of my male friends started investing than my female friends, but actually what's interesting is that of my female friends that have started investing, they actually all work in financial services. So they have that, you know, decent knowledge base of investments. But of my male friends that have started investing, they all work in all sorts of different roles and industries. So there's clearly an issue here that men are investing more than women. And I think just from my experience and my group of friends, that suggests it might be down to that knowledge point. And I think, of course, there's a whole societal and psychological reasons for this. And that's super interesting. And I think a lot of it comes from confidence or the so-called confidence gap between men and women. So... There's various studies that have shown that men in general are a lot more confident than women and women often feel like they need to be presented with all available information before making a decision, whereas men are much more confident with taking risks. And as well as the confidence gap, there's, of course, a huge issue of the gender pay gap, which may mean that more women simply feel like they do not have enough money to start investing. Now, of course, this is a much bigger social issue that needs to change and I suppose is starting to change. But I think in society as a whole, it does contribute to putting women off investing. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, the, the other interesting point is even the women that do invest, invest around 30% less than men. And the fact that many earn less than men are more likely to take career breaks are definitely factors that play a part in this. But I think there's also more to it. And, and we recently looked at savings habits between men and women. And interestingly, in terms of those who had cash savings above a certain threshold, there was actually little difference. So in theory, if the split between the genders when it comes to those who do have a certain amount of cash savings in place is about 50-50, you'd perhaps expect the women to be as likely to go on to then invest as men, but they're not doing so. So, so why is that? And I think, you know, as Sarah mentioned, confidence and the difference in the way that men and women make decisions will be factors here. But I also don't think you can overlook the sort of the traditional perception of investing. You know, it's always been male dominated, as has the investment industry, although, you know, things are changing as we demonstrate, you know, we're three women working in the financial industry and hopefully that will continue to change with more women working in roles that have perhaps traditionally been filled by men. And we're seeing that happen in in other industries as well, where women have been underrepresented um, and more of them now holding senior roles. And then in turn, this is sort of altering the traditional role, I think, of 
of men and women in the home. So more women are working and being the main or even the sole breadwinner within some households. And then, of course, there's the fact that a lot of women are, are getting married later or, or are single either because they choose not to get married or they're divorced or widowed or whatever. And, and with that comes that sort of financial independence that helps build that all important sort of confidence, perhaps to, to get them started. Yeah, so sort of taking charge and, and getting going. And I mean, are you seeing other common barriers when when speaking to people or perhaps looking at the data? Yes, definitely. And, um, you know, we do a lot of research to understand the barriers and, and really try to understand what can be putting people off to try and help overcome them, really, and, and, and help people get started on the road to investing. And I think, you know, if, if you think about it, it's often seen as as high risk and something only for the rich. But these these are both barriers that the industry is trying to tackle. And, you know, we've seen a lot, the launch of a lot of new products and services designed to make investing more accessible. So things like robo advice service, ready-made investment funds, online tools and calculators, which are all designed to sort of help, help break down those barriers and, and perhaps bust some of the myths. Also, I think, you know, as Sarah touched on, education and how you talk about investing is also really important. If you think about the language and imagery often associated with it, it's very masculine, you know, just like bulls and bears and titans, for example. And what's more, I think investment terminology is often complex. It's complex, jargony, full of acronyms. And most people just simply don't understand it. Funny enough, I was listening to a consumer research group feedback this morning where one man was saying that he had to learn the language before he got started. And, you know, it, it really sort of resonated and, and sort of hit home with me that it is, it's almost like a foreign language in a lot of ways. Mm. And we've done a lot of research on the importance of language ourselves and the impact it can have when it comes to confidence, not only for women, but also for men. And it always comes back to the value of trying to talk about it in as simple a way as possible. Last year, we, we did some research with Goldsmiths University, which found that, that two thirds of British consumers actually exhibit stress reactions when tested on their response to financial language. So 44% reported an increased heart rate and nearly 20% saying they actually broke out in sweat. And it was investment terms such as sort of stockbroker, asset manager, investment risk, which caused the strongest reaction. Oh my goodness, Claire, I hope we're not, I hope we're not triggering our, our listeners with this. We better watch our language. <laughs> Fingers crossed, yeah. But I think, you know, it's in our everyday language because obviously we're working, you know, we work in it. But if you do take a step back and, and think about perhaps the impact it can have and how it can be off-putting, mm. if we can just really think about how we talk about it, try and explain it in, in everyday conversational language, really. Um, it's nothing more complicated than that. But I think we just need to be mindful of that. And I think, you know, it's it's important to remember that investing obviously can be high risk. But it doesn't have to be. And that's where, you know, the education is important because, you know, you can never totally eradicate that risk. But there are ways to reduce the amount of risk you're taking. And it's important to try and help people know how to do that. So, you know, that's one of the things we, we do. We really try to keep the jargon out when we're writing and talking about investing and, and explain things to people in, in a way that they'll understand, try and help them feel more confident in the hope that then, if that is a barrier, we can help them overcome it. Okay, so you're really making me think back to, to earlier podcasts. I, I suspect that, that we've got some room for improvement there. So challenge accepted. And Claire and, 
and Sarah, just when, when it comes to your own investments, because I, I guess many of our listeners, whilst I hope and I think everyone understands that we're not giving investment advice, we're not telling our listeners what we think they should be doing. Sometimes hearing what other people are doing can stimulate a bit of thought and, of course, lead people to think about their own affairs and, and where, where perhaps to get more information or, or take advice if, if that's appropriate. So, so starting with you, Sarah, if I may, where, where do you, you mentioned before you started investing during the lockdown. Where did you start? What did you do? Yeah, so I've got some shares within a share plan that we have available to us at work because it's a tax efficient way to invest as the way it works is that the money that you use to acquire the shares comes out of my paycheck before it even lands in my bank account. So to be honest, I don't really notice it. And it's a great way to invest in, in, and hopefully get some long term growth there. I've also got a stocks and shares ISA, and which I mentioned before, and it invests in a portfolio of funds that gives me exposure to equities and bonds. So I've got that good diversification to help me reduce the overall risk I'm taking, which is really important. And I think for me, I know that within the next five to 10 years, my goal is that I'll be looking to buy a house and get on the property ladder. And for that, I know I'll need a deposit. So I'm investing for that, really. And while I'm happy to take some risk because I don't think I'll be looking to access the money for a little while, I equally feel that I need to be careful with it and careful with how it's invested because I certainly can't afford to lose it all. Yeah. And Claire, what about you? I'm similar. I, I also invest monthly in, in share plans at work. Um, but apart from that, I don't buy shares. I, I use a share plan because of the tax efficiency. So an employer's share scheme can be a great way to invest. But I'm also very mindful of not wanting to have too much invested in a single company. So apart from that, I use funds for the rest of the money I invest. One reason is I just don't have the time to do lots of research and constantly keep an eye on investments, which I feel I would probably need to do if I was directly buying company shares or bonds, whereas funds take that away. So one fund will invest in multiple companies, which gives me diversification and helps spread the risk and hopefully reduce the chance of me losing any money. I know over the years, I've built up a portfolio of multiple funds, which then invest in different parts of the world in different sectors, again, giving me good spread and diversification. And as I mentioned previously, you know, every year I try to use as much of my ISA allowance as possible. And, you know, my plan is a fairly loose plan, um, but it's basically for mine and my son's future sort of financial security, really. Um, so I can help him if he decides to go to university or maybe get on the housing ladder. But apart from that, it's, you know, I'm really investing for my retirement. As much as I love my job, I, I don't want to be working forever. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and Claire, you know, you mentioned having a plan there. That, that really can help, can't it? Yes, definitely. And I've heard you say this before, Nikki, but when it comes to investing, time really is your friend. So the earlier you start, the better. And it's all about time in the market, not timing the market. And research suggests that actually women are better than men at following this investment philosophy. So although fewer women do invest, those that do, do well on the whole. We did some analysis with Warwick University, which actually looked at the investment behavior of 2,800 of our smart investor customers and found that over a three-year period, the female customers actually outperformed their male counterparts by an average of 1.8 percentage points a year, which is quite interesting. So when we looked at why it might be the case, it highlighted, the analysis highlighted various differences in investing behavior between the two sexes. So men, for example, they tend to trade more frequently. And obviously, every time you buy and sell, 
a fund or shares, you're likely to incur a trading cost. And those fees can eat into the returns you then make. Also, men tend to have a greater appetite for sort of lottery style investing, which is a tendency to invest in more speculative, lower price shares that have the potential to increase substantially in value. But the flip side is that obviously they could fall sharply as well, resulting in in losses. Whereas women, on the other hand, tend to avoid this type of investing, which actually greatly help their returns. They also tend to hold on to their investments for longer. So rather than trying to time the market and move in and out um, with short term movements, if you do this, you probably get it wrong. Plus there are costs involved. They're more likely to just sort of invest their money and keep it invested and ride out any sort of stock market volatility and periods of sort of the markets going up and down, which again, over the long term can sort of smooth the ride and get you up to a, a better place, really. Although obviously no guarantees, but it, it tends to be a sort of the approach that we would advocate really and, and seems to be one that a lot of women follow. And I mean, it sounds to me, Sarah, like you're, you're an example of someone who's really trying to do the right thing, you know, to get to get started as early as you sensibly could, given, you know, as you said, you came out of uni, no doubt had some debts, and, and you're trying to follow that that long term approach with you sound quite disciplined about it. Yeah, so I, th- I think you're right, you know, starting on that investing while young is really important. And you've got to do it in a in a sensible in a sensible way as well. You hear loads of stories about how, for example, if you'd invested in this certain stock 10 years ago, your investment would be worth so much now. And that's really attractive and everyone wants to chase those really good returns. But it sometimes can feel unfeasible, but there are still so many opportunities for that long term growth in the market. And obviously there's no guarantee and your investments can go up and down in value. But I think there's real merit in riding out those short-term fluctuations and having a long-term plan in mind. And as I mentioned previously, you know, my current plan is to build a deposit so I can get on the property ladder. So I suppose while I'm young and I'm lucky enough to be able to invest a little bit each month, no matter how small, my plan is to put that away, not really think about it because I want to ignore the fluctuations, And then hopefully really reap the benefits of that long-term compounding and long-term growth over the next five to 10 years. I'm not trying to time the market. As Claire just mentioned earlier, I feel like a lot of perils can come with trying to time the market. For example, you can very easily make the wrong decision and actually end up a bit worse off. I'm putting my savings into a pot, investing them and letting them grow over the long term. And you know, Claire mentioned just earlier about the differences between men and women and how men can sometimes overtrade. And I'm really not taking that approach. I'm probably being quite stereotypical of a, of a woman and just letting it do its thing and and taking a long term approach and a, and a pragmatic way of looking at it. Sounds sounds good to me. And so I guess, Claire, it would be great to hear if you've got some top tips. What are, What are the top tips you'd give to someone who's thinking about taking that step into investing? I think my top tips, they apply to anybody, not just women, but I think my three would be, firstly, don't be scared. So think of investing as being part of your overall saving strategy. So you have your cash savings for those short-term needs, say anything less than five years ago, and then you invest for the longer term. So we're trying to sort of turn this sort of save for a rainy day, invest for your future. Um, 
Secondly, diversify. Diversification is so important when it comes to um, investing. Spread your money around, invest in different geographical regions, sectors, have a mixture of assets, so shares, bond and cash. And while it won't totally get rid of the risk, it will significantly reduce it and lessen the chances of you losing money. Because even if prices in one area of the market are falling, hopefully they're going up in another to offset any, any losses you might be doing there. And, you know, the easiest way to do this to get diversification is to invest in funds rather than buying shares or bonds individually. Because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, one fund will hold multiple different shares or bonds in in multiple different companies. So you're getting immediate diversification there. And then finally, I think the third tip would be stick to your plan and try and block out the noise, particularly from the media. So when the stock markets make the headlines of the 10 o'clock news, it's usually because they're falling and we're going through a tumultuous time. And it can be unnerving, you know, it's only natural for it to be so, but hold tight and just remember why you're invested in the first place. You're there for that long-term growth that you're hoping to achieve. And if you do get spooked and sell out when markets are down, that's when you're most likely to make losses. So if we go back to what we said earlier about market timing, you can, as well as sort of selling at the wrong time, you could also be out of the market and miss out on the rebound and some of the strongest days. So just get invested and stay invested and ride it all out. Very good. And and Sarah, what about you? Yeah, so I'd agree with everything that Claire has just said, all really, really great tips. And I think my first top tip, I'll follow on from Claire's last point there about riding out the fluctuations and blocking out that noise in the news and in the media. And I'd say one of my top tips would be don't listen to all of the sort of get rich quick cheats that you might hear about. There's a huge amount of sensationalism in the news and on social media in particular surrounding some investments. For example, with stories like GameStop earlier in the year and you hear it about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies when you see it on bus stops and in magazines. And really all this misinformation does is create that sense of fear and confusion Because, you know, if something seems too good to be true when it comes to investments, it probably is because there's no such thing as free money, really. And I think it's much better to take that pragmatic approach than listening to all of these alleged shortcut investments to getting rich. And I think my second tip probably would be make sure you understand what you're putting your money into before you invest. And that doesn't mean read every single article out there because, as we mentioned before, it can be filled with so much jargon and it can just confuse you more. But a lot of investments try to sell you on large potential upside gains. But of course, with that comes more risk and sometimes even larger potential downsides. So I'd say do your research about your different options and the different investment products available. Stay informed of market news. And I think you'll probably be in in a good place to start. And finally, I think a lot of people might feel like they don't have enough money to start investing, but actually you'd be surprised about how quickly you can grow a nice little nest egg just by saving a little bit from your paycheck each month. And a good tip there as well is to budget well. So work out how much money you actually need per month for things like the necessities, like food, rent, bills, but also put some money aside for things that you enjoy, like socializing and eating out, because that's important too and then work out how much you can afford to save and invest each month. And then putting that money into your investment pot just after payday is also a good tip to kind of avoid that temptation to spend any surplus at the end of the month. I think they sound like excellent tips. And and I think what's really 
great to hear is that I think, well, all three of us, but certainly we've heard today from the two of you that you are eating your own cooking, right? There's a very strong mantra here about, about understanding your budget, making your plan, trying to stick to that plan and thinking a bit about what's the sensible way to manage that. And I think for all of us, sometimes getting those top tips or things to think about is part of taking that first step. A bit like we all know what's good for us, right? But we don't always eat brilliantly. But having a way of eating that we contract with ourselves to to follow is a lot easier than going on a quick diet because we're panicking. So there we go. Claire, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you to our listeners and subscribers. And if there are any other topics or if what you've heard today is sparking follow-up questions, then do please get in touch with us via LinkedIn or the usual channels. And with that, we'll just say good luck to England. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation. All tax rules can change in future and their effects depend on your individual circumstances, which can also change. We don't offer personal tax advice. You should obtain this independently if you are unsure. Investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance.